The UK Investor Magazine podcast is brought to you in association with Oanda, the broker of choice for traders who want a smarter way to trade. Trade with Oanda and get one year's subscription to TradingView Pro. 76.6% of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you understand how CFDs work and whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money. Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a look at a number of UK equities and looking at the key market themes out there at the moment. And to do that, we're very kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being with us today. Good morning, John. Good to be back. So, Alan, we're looking at a FTSE 100 here, which is up at the time of recording 0.4% on the day. This is the first positive day that we're seeing in London's leading index for some time, certainly this week. And it's been very much down to the wranglings that we've been experiencing in Washington over the debt ceiling. This, of course, has been something that's been on the horizon for for some time now. But as we move up to to that date, which is actually just in a in a couple of days now, when effectively the U.S. government would start to shut down uh, their departments, that they'd be curtailed in terms of the spending uh, that they'd be able to, to make if that debt ceiling wasn't increased. We've seen this before. We get right up to the date and we get an agreement. So it's been approved by the House of Representatives. Now, I think it's just the formalities that we need to go through now before that's actually approved and avoided. So that's the reason why we've seen such a sharp sell-off of late. But you know, with that news overnight, we're seeing a relief rally. Of course, it isn't recovering all of the losses that we've seen this week. There's a few other factors at play uh, that we'll go into and also get your views on, Alan. So just looking here, it's been quite a busy week on the economic front. We saw some data from China yesterday, which was a little bit disappointing. Uh, We saw the manufacturing sector contract faster than expected. That saw some downside in, in miners yesterday. But moving to today, we are seeing positivity, and it's not just from the sentiment around the debt ceiling. We've seen Eurozone inflation slip, so that's helping sentiment. But I think the most important thing that we're going to discuss today to do with the UK markets and the most UK-centric data that we've got is is data on, on house prices. So data from Nationwide shows that in the month to May, UK house prices fell 0.1% after rising 0.4% in April. Year on year, house prices have declined 3.4% to the month of May. But we're looking at the house, uh, the house builders now, Alan. It's a, it's a sector that we discuss regularly on the podcast, but it's one of the main barometers of sentiment around the UK economy. Just looking here, for example, at Persimmon, currently trading at about £12. This is a stock that's trading at £14 not too long ago. During that period, we've had markets pricing in higher rates going forward. Your markets are now expecting that the Bank of England are going to be increasing rates to 5.5% from the current level of of 4.5%. And that was really 
the reason for, for the drop that we saw throughout the month of May in house builders. But Alan, looking at these these house builders now, looking at the prices that they're, that they're at and looking at how they've reacted, they're actually positive on the day. Do you feel that there, again, is a large element of, of this bad news around the house the housing market being priced in already to house builders? It certainly looks that way, John. I mean, I'm just looking at a table uh, of the performance of house builders, Wood Big Four, Taylor, Wimpy, Persimmon, Barrett and Barclays uh, over the past year. And Persimmon certainly has been the best performer of the four. But the as you'd, as you'd expect, the, the charting uh, performance is very similar. And uh, I think um, going back to last year when the Bank of England governor promised, uh, or, or he didn't promise, he, he uh, forecast that um, interest rate rises would peak at about 4.5%. Um, and of course, that doesn't seem to be happening. The uh, the recession, uh, well, the uh, the interest rate increases do seem set to continue. So we've seen house price or the uh, prices of house builders come off on the back of that in recent months. And of course, over the uncertainty with, as you've already said, the U.S. debt ceiling um, and issues over inflation. But of course, we've uh, the, the um, European inflation is uh, data is now coming down, uh, which is good news. And uh, one would hope that the UK would start to exhibit the same uh, the same uh, uh, characteristics uh, when we get that data through. Um, so, of course, you know, the, the markets, as they do, continue to climb this wall of worry. But um, we've seen the collapse in the FTSE over the past week uh, with this cocktail of bad news. So my, uh, I, th- I think we're going to see that ground recovered in the coming weeks. Um, but I mean, given what the US uh, debt ceiling is, uh, well, well, the US debt levels are now at $31 trillion, which is just um, the most unthinkable amount of money. Um, it's almost, some might say, it's like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. You know, you, you've got this uh, this massive issue that won't go away. It's, it's always the elephant in the room. And it's just a question of, um, of uh, rehashing and, managing um as 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 can be done and it i'm reminded of the old uh, adage that uh, if you owe the bank ten thousand pounds it's your problem if you owe the bank two million pounds it's their problem um and this is a this is a situation where where really uh, all they can do is just um is just uh, make shapes on the side you know whilst they have this huge debt mountain so um regardless the u.s economy is still an absolute powerhouse um, and of course, uh, you know, we uh, we look to that economy to provide guidance and um, visibility going forward um, for the UK um, and particularly house builders. I think they're starting to look like value now. You, you know, you can't keep a good housing market down and the UK housing market is one of the most buoyant in the world. Um, and we've seen really slow growth this year and uh, it, it's noticeable. You know, we're seeing houses for sale. Around where we are, they've last year they'd be snapped up. Now they're still on the market. They've been on for three or four months, and uh, little's happening. But um, certainly, you know, we're selling. Uh, my mother is selling her house. That's now sold slightly under what we wanted, but not too far under. So you know, the, the market's still very buoyant. Indeed, indeed, and certainly looking at that reaction in in the, in the house builders this morning, there is an element I feel that. As you mentioned, Alan, that, that people look at this sector and they look at the value there. You know, 
yes, things may get worse later on in the year. I mean, it's anyone's guess as to, to where house prices actually go to. But looking at how this sector has moved over the last two years and the value some of these house builders have given up after this period, I, th- I think there's an argument there to be had that a lot of the bad news is already already priced in. And what's particularly interesting about this, this sector is it's particularly high beta. It moves a lot faster than the market. And it's a very good gauge of what the market is actually thinking about the UK economy. Mm. So that filters down not only into, into the house builders, but of course, other sectors within the, the FTSE 100. It's interesting to to note that we, we've seen some real mixed uh, performances from some of the, the UK retailers. Yesterday, we saw a bumper set of results from B&M European value. So that suggests that you know people do have interest within UK focused assets still you know there's a lot of bad news out there and and one would think that it's all doom and gloom but there is value within these these companies and and when we get good sets of results when we get reasonably okay data we see some good moves um so certainly uh the UK shouldn't be written off at this point in time Just, uh, just a point on the house builders again John of course these all, all the big four and the and the FTSE two fifty and the smaller ones all have these land banks too, which they've invested in over the years. So 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 they're very well positioned. So when the market does pick up again, they can land banks banks that might have been sitting dormant for a number of years. They can they can tap into those and and then start building on 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 those land banks that of course they picked up for. Um, far lower sums of money um, years ago. So, you know, all the way through, the, the, the companies are very much, these these big house builders are very much hedged against, uh, against um, a downturn in the economy because they do have that luxury of having the land bank to go back to when times, when times are more prosperous. Indeed, indeed. As, as you say, some of those plots have been picked up uh, for... You know, very good prices in in the past, and and are just sitting there waiting for the for the right time to be developed. And of course, that does help the house builders' margins. You know, when when we see an uptick in in house prices. So moving on now, Alan. The first company we're going to discuss today is Greatland Gold. So just looking at the news flow over the last year or so, it's really been dominated by the the updates on, on drilling at Havarian. Uh, of course, their, their joint venture in Australia. But you know, over the past week, just looking here, there's been some deal making uh, going on at Greatland Gold, which is particularly interesting. We're going to cover that today. Got the share price moving. Uh, so, what's been happening there? It's 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 a great company. This joint it really is, a, and and very well run by Chief Executive Sean Day. Um, yeah, I mean the uh, the eponymous Javier and assets, um, uh, which uh, which. Uh, won the 2021 Commodity Discovery Award and I think is really over the past few years been a benchmark for um for discoveries. You know, if uh, if you're if the mining company you're invested in made a discovery, wouldn't it be nice to have it as a Javieran style discovery? Um but of course, you know, uh, Greatland is anything but a one trick pony. It has a number of other assets across the Patterson area, um Patterson South um, and also a, a, a the jury assets, um, which it's, is a joint venture with Newcrest, and um, and uh, I'm not going to go into details on those 
particular joint ventures. But as you pointed out, John, the um, the Javierian asset that the company's been drilling over the past year just seems to grow and grow, um, as is often the way. When a, an asset is discovered, it's drilled, and then the area of strike, uh, uh, once you're in the ground, you realise that, uh, or the, the geologists realise that it actually extends further than was originally thought. Um, and of course, further surveys, further drilling work, further sampling work is done to get um, a picture of the the, the enlarged asset. And uh, Javier and has just been the gift that keeps on giving in that regard. You know, uh, they've increased the the uh, mineral resource estimate uh, on a number of occasions. And of course, it's uh, th- this is a hugely successful joint venture for the company with um, with, with uh, Newcrest Mining, um, and the company. Uh, the company, of course, um, has a has a, a market capitalization uh, currently of four hundred five million. So it's well back from those heady days when it was uh, somewhere in the region of one half billion. But of course, that was during COVID, when when the, the uh, when gold um, and uh, um, uh, precious metal assets were valued uh, higher than they are today. But um, there's been some interest, uh, even though the commodity and mining market has been very depressed of late we've we've seen some real interest in greatland over the past few days and for good reason um so the company announced um a few days ago it had signed uh, um, a commitment letter uh, for a 20 min 20 the 220 million dollar uh seven year debt and uh, and funding facility with a banking syndicate which is australian and new zealand banking group hsbc and ing um, so the, a syndicate of banks have come behind um, uh, Greatland Gold to support the work that they're doing there. And of course, that will see um, see the uh, delayed feasibility study completed. Um, and uh, also the, the mining decline work will continue to advance until, of course, they're actually right on top of the um, of, of, of the asset was, that was uh, originally drilled. And as Sean Day said, you know, it's a demonstrates the strength of the relationship that Greatland has with its banks and the financial flexibility that the company has for funding of the Javier and Copper and Gold uh, project. So that, of course, uh, uh, was the first um, spur in the share price, if you like. Then, of course, um, uh, the company announced um, uh, a farming in in with uh, Rio Tinto for the Patterson South tenure. And, of course, uh, Patterson South um, is uh, is is sort of somewhere um, somewhere in the vicinity of the Javier and, and the Winu deposit, and that's Rio Tinto's Winu deposit. So the the, the farm and a joint venture arrangement with Rio is really another Javier and Newcrest uh, joint venture. With, with uh, so so again, you know, this has added, I believe, huge value because you've got a company with Rio's resources coming in. Doing the heavy lifting and, of course, getting jury uh, over the line. Um, and it's a, you know, Sean Day said it's an outstanding opportunity. Many, many high priority, highly prospective, and heritage clear drill sites. Of course, the heritage clearances are a key part of the uh, drilling work that's undertaken by these companies. Um, and um, the work, of course, is continuing there. Then, of course, um, the uh, the company announced uh, today. A joint venture update on uh, the jury assets, where Greatland has transferred um, its uh, it, the management of the jury joint venture to its partner Newcrest Mining. 
And what it does, it frees up Sean and his team to focus on re- really uh, fast tracking and developing the the uh, the um, uh, Patterson asset with with Rio Tinto. So you know th- this is a, a hugely significant. It's been a hugely significant few days, I believe, for Greatland Gold. And even though the share price of mining companies is depressed at the moment, you know we've seen a big recovery in the price over the past few days and i think it's highly likely that you know as the market starts to pick up again and uh, further news flow comes in from that joint venture with rio um and uh, of course jury then we're going to see the share price start to move up again also noteworthy as well on patterson um of course we uh, uh, power metal resources has a stake in a company called first development resources FDR will be coming to market later this year, and it has a package of assets, including the Walal um, and Brayside uh, assets uh, in uh, in the Patterson region. So again, it's hugely exciting because, of course, all this is in the in the same region, the same areas, all this activity with Greatland, uh, with Rio Tinto, and with Newcrest. So um, for a company coming to market with that sort of focus and that sort of visibility is going to be a very exciting time, I think, for uh, investors that got in uh, early at uh, first first development resources. But um, in regard to Greatland, I think this is a real turning point for the company, and um, it should have a very strong rest of year. Yes, yeah, certainly. Looking at the at the share price now, of course, this is trading within a notoriously high risk sector of course that the junior resource sector and, and it's it's been depressed you know i don't think it's anything to do with the the company as such i think it's the wider market sentiment but there seems to have been a bit of a base built in just beneath 7p so it'll be interesting to see whether that level is held in the coming weeks and whether we can build a base from here for the next leg higher so now moving on alan we're going to be sticking within the resource sector and the company that we've discussed on the podcast previously, and we've had CEO Kieran Morzaria on the podcast very recently. But again, a company that's had a number of updates in recent weeks, of course, Cadence Minerals. What's the latest from them, Alan? Well, Cadence, of course, have a portfolio of assets. <clears throat> they have the uh, Amapa Iron Ore Project in Brazil, um, which is a hugely important asset, uh, formerly a producing mine. Uh, it was owned by Anglo-American and Clough Mining previously. It was valued by Anglo-American in 2012 at 600 million. And Cadence have really, for a song, picked up this asset, got them permission to get the show back on the road. Um, and are currently, they have just put in place a funding package that will uh, enable them to complete the definitive feasibility study um, and really get the mine recommissioned and back working again. And this is, you know, the the scale of this asset has to be really understood. It's a huge working iron ore mine. It has its own railway that goes direct to the port at Santana in Brazil. Um, It has its own port. And there at that port, of course, um, Cadence has, uh, and it's through its local uh, locally owned company Dev Min- Dev Minerals. It has been shipping iron ore pellets directly from that port around the world. So um, the this mine is coming back into production, but it's coming back with a product that's already used and is already highly prized by uh, steel smelting companies around the world. So it's shipped that product all over the world 
already or ship from the tailings. So this is going to come back on stream very shortly. So Cadence has put in place an initial $2 million um, and that will rise. Uh, they have a further $8 million to tap into over the next few years. So this is this is incredibly good news. You know, the risk on this asset is reducing all the time. But of course, given that we're in these these rubbish markets at the moment, um, the share price hasn't well, it hasn't reacted at all. If anything, it's, uh, it's gone slightly the other way because uh, I think, uh, you know, people are just selling into any news. But um, so if, if we take that asset as it is, once this uh, DFS is complete and once the funding package has been uh, fully utilised, Cadence will own up to 33% of the, of the mine. Bearing in mind, there was a hike in the mineral resource estimate earlier this year too the um, the mineral resource estimate is greater than now than uh, it was when it was owned by anglo-american and valued at 600 million so even taking that valuation 33 percent of that sort of valuation gives you some idea of the uh, the, the massive disparity uh, in cadence's market cap and the value of the amapa asset but it's not just that um, cadence has a number of other uh, assets it's invested into it has 6.8 percent of European Metals Holdings, that is the owner jointly with CEZ Utilities of the Sinovec Lithium and Tim project in Czechoslovakia. Um, that recently announced uh, testing of lithium had uh, confirmed that the grave was exceptionally high, suitable for batteries. So Sinovec looks set to become the next uh, lithium battery hub for European vehicle EV manufacturers, which is, uh, which is you know, a, a huge step forward. Um, the company also owns uh, assets, the Megalit uh, assets. It has a stake in those two companies, uh, which are on the Sonora Lithium assets, uh, the Sonora Lithium mine in Mexico. That's, of course, owned by the Chinese company Gang Feng. Um, and uh, there'll be developments there, no doubt, um, as we go forward. Um, plus, the company also has, uh, it owns um, it owns nearly uh, 9% of Evergreen Lithium, EG1 is the epic code, which has just listed on the Australian ASX exchange. So not nearly 9% of that. Um, and there's been a lot of updates from Evergreen over the past few weeks. Uh, the Kenny project, it's, uh, it's, uh, the company announced a few days ago that I had identified rare earths as well as the lithium uh, asset, uh, as the uh, lithium uh, that had already been identified there. But today, more significantly, um, at its Bino project, which is uh, contiguous with Core Lithium's Finnis project, uh, this is a lithium project uh, which has a total mineral resource of 30.6 million tonnes at 1.3% lithium oxide. Um, so the Bino project is, is contiguous. In other words, uh, the anomalies run through both. Um, it announced today that it had, uh, had identified significant northeast trending lithium anomalies several kilometers long and they include the geochemical pathfinder elements of beryllium cesium potassium lanthanum rubidium tin and of course tantalum so uh you know the um the head of exploration was uh, uh remarkably muted in his comments but it, he just said as to the geochemical picture at bino and indicates very large zones of lithium anomalies so that's very encouraging news also as i say cadence uh, cadence's stake in the company owns 
uh, well, just under 16 million shares, equivalent to 8.74% of Evergreen's issue capital. And that makes Cadence uh, Evergreen's uh, largest shareholder. So you you add the value of those assets together, and then you look at Cadence's market cap of 15.2 million. There is a massive disparity here. And at some stage, once the mining sector picks up, that will be addressed. Thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, just just a couple of questions there on the, the Evergreen Lithium project. So actually, it's a standalone company. That's IPO'd recently, Alan. Would you be able to give us an update on how that's performed? Kieran mentioned it on the podcast and, and explained it, it had done quite well. Would you be able to give a bit, bit of background on now, how that's performed since it came to market in Australia recently? Yep. So the company currently has a market capitalization of 21.9 million Aussie dollars. So that's about, uh, I'm guessing that's about uh, four, 13, 14 million sterling. So, you know, Cadence's state there is uh, nearly 9%. So so that's uh, that, that's probably 1.3, 1.3 million-ish. Um, since the company came to market, it's really performed in line with uh, w- with a lot of other companies that have IPO'd recently. Uh, we've seen, of course, spoke about uh, first class metals and um, gold metal resources. Uh, you know, the, the the shares have come to market, not really done a great deal, um, but it's trading at 0.4, uh, uh, well, well, 40 cents, 0.4 Australian dollars. So um, it's uh, it's that that's against a high of. Point, uh, uh, well, 69 cents and a low of 28 cents. So just off the lows, hasn't really done anything yet, but uh, I would expect the news today, um, certainly uh, on the news yesterday, the shares rose uh, 6.7%. So that that uh, the rises should be reflected in the cadence share price. But as of yet, uh, that has yet to happen. So um, I'm sure, you know, valuation always out eventually. And uh, there there is a disconnect in the markets at the moment which I'm certain will be addressed. Thank you very much. We're going to move on now, Alan, and finish off with True Spine, one that we spoke about on the podcast recently, but there's been some developments looking here at the company. Be able to give us a rundown of those, please? Certainly, yeah. I mean, True Spine has has a very small market capitalization at the moment. Uh, It's listed on the Aquas Exchange, and um, the company, uh, the, yeah, as the share price has uh, really fallen uh, uh, from 10p a year ago down to a penny today. Um, that gives the company a market cap of 1.2 million. But go to the True Spine website, look at the products they have. They have spinal stabilization products, um, one of which is being progressed for approval through the US FDA. And it's hugely important. You know, a lot of people with back problems. Um, you can look at the, you can really look and read about these, uh, and, and and read about these these products, and they they speak for themselves. They, it's a very the uh, the uh, illustrations and and graphics on that page very clearly explain what the what each product does. So I'm not going to go into those now. Um, what I'm going to just discuss is uh, is a result yesterday of the general meeting that was uh, that was requisitioned by shareholders uh, in the USA who basically wanted to turn the company into something else and really remove the value or the inherent value that's in and owned by TruSpine. Um, And uh, um, I have spoken about this on several occasions. I also interviewed Chief Executive 
Lawrence Strauss and um, and Lawrence was just very very uh, frank about um, the way the, the, the way he uh, the the, uh, the company had performed over the past year what he'd been brought in to do and of course uh, um, dealing having to deal with this issue of the of the shareholders requisitioning a vote to remove him from the board which you know I, I said it seems odd that uh, I said to him in the interview it seems odd that um, that you arrived as MD at the end of February and then you're appointed chief executive in April and all the damage to the share price happened before your tenure and yet they're trying to get rid of you now you know it's uh, it doesn't seem to make sense and uh, uh, the requisition letter uh, outlined the idea for to turn the company into an oil, into an oil and gas company um, and of course that was soundly rejected uh, uh, by the uh, shareholders in the vote yesterday, although one uh, one motion was carried, and that was that the adjourned 2022 annual general meeting be reconvened as soon as is practically possible, which probably is going to be a good thing to to settle and give clarity to this, to this matter once and for all. But um, you know, Lawrence said in the announcement yesterday he was pleased that uh, uh, the those resolutions have been defeated and he hopes that now as a company they can draw a line under the matter and move forward so the company can take the steps it needs to do to realize the potential of the unique product portfolio and that's what he's now doing and uh, I know you know uh, meetings are already underway to progress that so um, it's a very exciting time for TrueSpine shareholders because they have some fantastic IP and frankly I'm surprised that the share price hasn't reacted more uh, than it has done at this stage but um, I'm guessing probably some shareholders are waiting to see the plans that Lawrence has and of course uh, we will find out about those in due course. And when we do I'm sure it'll be something that we discuss on the podcast. So Alan thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much John. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you. This podcast was presented by Oanda, Trading View's most popular broker. Trade with Oanda and get one year subscription to Trading View Pro. 76.6% of retail investor accounts lose money when trading CFDs with this provider. You should consider whether you understand how CFDs work and whether you can afford to take the high risk of losing your money. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.